Just when you thought two parkrun podcasts couldn't be enough, three parkrun podcasts couldn't be enough. Maybe there's four coming, Mel, but this is the best. I'm going on record as saying in, in, the, in the new generation, it was the first, and so it still remains the best. Welcome to the Parkrun Adventurers, the number one parkrun podcast in Australia. Are you welcoming me or are you welcoming yeah, the No, I'm, I'm welcoming the listeners and everybody who's tuned in for the first time and for the 128th time. This is episode 129. My co-host is Mel Erbacker, who you've already heard, but welcome, Mel. Thanks, Scotty. Happy to be here, as always. Parkrun's blowing up all over the podcast airwaves. So there's a new kid on the block. There is. I discovered a new podcast. We'll get to that at the end of this week's episode. Let's not give them too okay. much airtime. They might end up... More popular than us. Yeah. Yep. But what a weekend you and I have just had. Last week we alluded to that we were off to the annual Parkrun Australia, Parkrun Australasia conference. And we did. We had a great weekend together. Mixed with a bit of fun and excitement was... Some weather, some interesting weather out on the harbour. <laughs> yes, the weather was interesting. Yeah, well, it makes the weekend memorable, if nothing else. Um, for those that don't know what we're talking about, on Friday night there was sort of like an electrical storm um, in Sydney. It was very dramatic. It wasn't that like full on, but there was very dark skies and there was lots of lightning around. And that was the exact moment that we were on a boat in the middle of the harbour on our way to a tiny island to camp in tents that, you know, I'm, I'm not a camping expert, Mel, but apparently they are conductors of electricity. Tents are? Yes, because I think all the metal of the poles and everything. And because of all the canvas was wet. Yeah. So that apparently well, see, that's I didn't really consider that. I was more thinking how exposed we were um, and the fact that the plan B was to herd us all into a, a tunnel under the cliffs. However... <laughs> Would have had to be exposed to the elements for a good 100, 200 metres before we made it to the entrance of the tunnel. Yeah. How much um, fun would that have been to be huddled in a tunnel in the middle of the night as the rain poured down? I, I don't know if I could put a measurement on how much fun that would be, Scotty. <laughs> but despite all that, it was still fun. We had a great time getting together with all our ambassadors and our visitors from overseas. We had guests from South Africa. Our South African mates were with us. Our New Zealand country managers joined us and we had visitors from Malaysia as well. And, and the UK. And the UK. Oh, that, that mob too. They came a long way to see yeah, us. We had it was very interesting. People from far and far. And what do we do, Mel? What do we do all weekend? Um, well, we, we headed to Greenway Park Run on Saturday morning. There was a showdown. <laughs> was it really a showdown? It ended yeah, pretty It was quickly. really a showdown. Do you, I would like to hear what you think. Do you think you won that showdown? Absolutely. Okay. On Based on what grounds? I crossed the finish line first. Ah, see, this is where I, I think possibly we had a different understanding because I'm fairly confident I won because I got the most number of high fives. Did we talk about it being a speed thing? Oh, what a, that's a pretty ambiguous Claim to victory to say that you won because you got more high fives because you actually don't know how many high fives I got. Oh, I was watching. You weren't even high fiving. In fact, you might have got two because I'm pretty sure I gave you two high fives. <laughs> actually, it wasn't, it wasn't a big high five morning. I'll, I'll admit that. It was a no. Yeah. no I'll take that back. I was I was high fiving. I high fived a bit. What am I talking about? Okay, because I found it to be a really sociable course. It's a double out and back. Well, it's a double loop. At, it's yeah. It's a double loopy out and back. Yep. Lots By of opportunities. Way, yep. Heaps of opportunities to see the faster people and the slower people and high fives all round. I I had a very high fived hand by the end of the event. It was good fun. Yeah, it was good fun. And it, it's because so we injected seventy odd ambassadors into the event. Um, Greta Greta was there. And she gives us a raving report that we'll go to pretty shortly to give you a, a sense of what it was like. Um, but yeah, so they we injected 70 people. And we knew these 70 people, Mel. So it was awesome. So every sort of second person you, you passed, you knew. So you get to say hello to. And those that you didn't, you yeah. say you said hello to anyway. And they were going, who's that? <laughs> 
yeah, it was great. It was just like being at, at a home park run because when I'm, I'm one of those noisy people who always, you know, cheers everybody on and I call them by name if I know their names. So there were lots of names called out and there must have been a lot of the locals who are thinking, who the hell is that and how did they know all these people? It was good. Fun morning. I, I, I ran okay. So this time last year, my park run PB was obtained at the conference last year at Varsity Lakes quite by accident when I had two pacers trying to pace me who gave up on me. And unfortunately, one of those people, I got sucked in again on Saturday. I said, come on, come on, let's catch so-and-so up the road. And um, it made me run a bit quicker. And Was it a PB for you this weekend? No, 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 definitely not, definitely not. It was a PB in my current state, my current state with my <laughs> new friend called My Belly. I had My Belly gotcha. along with me. It was a belly PB. It was a belly PB, yep. Well done you, Scotty. <laughs> but should we go to, to keep the Greenway theme, should we have a listen to Greta? She got up with the event directors. Hello, Parkrun Adventurers. I'm here at Greenway Parkrun <laughs> today, and we're here with um, the event directors, Mel and Rachel. And we've had a great morning this morning, haven't we? Uh, apart from the weather, but yeah, <laughs> um, we're meant to be in spring, but hey, it's a little bit wet, but it's been a fantastic uh, event and we've loved having you all here. Yeah, so we've, um, we're, we're um, having a parkrun conference this weekend and we've um, come visiting, so we've sort of uh, increased your numbers a little bit this morning. How many would you normally get? Yeah, we normally get about 160 runners. Yeah. On our launch, we had three... 16 so we had to go into um, beyond the 300 tokens that we were issued with yeah. so that was an exciting um, thing to happen on our launch yeah and but, how long have you been running now uh, we started in February so we are on event number 32 yeah 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 and how long have you guys been park running what's your park run story uh, I've been park running for about three or four, maybe five years. Yeah, yeah so um, started, um, there weren't so many in Sydney originally and they were a bit hard to get to. So we used to go when we were down in Canberra. Then we used to go over to Mossman, um, which I liked because it was nice and early. They have a 7 a.m. start. Yes, and then uh, Cooks River, when that one launched, it became fairly regular at Cooks River. Yeah. And what inspired you to start? Well, sorry, sorry, what's your, your parkrun story? And then I'll... So I'm originally from the UK, so I've been uh, with parkrun for over 10 years. Um, and so, yeah, I had one very locally in my um, local town of Eastleigh, um, so which I used to go to. And, um, yeah, I moved here... Uh, nine years ago now so yeah and you've been park running here before starting Greenway uh, I did a few but um, yeah I've been volunteering more than I've been running because um, Saturday is actually my day off of running because oh, really? I'm a running coach <laughs> so yeah so yeah I've been volunteering more than running but well, good um, on you yeah and uh, that's what this is all about and putting this event into the community and getting more people moving so what was it that inspired both of you to start Greenway we just wanted to give back to our local community um, and give them something closer to home that they could walk to rather than having to get in the car every Saturday and driving. As you know, there are many now in Sydney, but um, this was just another opportunity to get one in the local area. There's a bit of a gap. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Time for a new park run. Yeah, and I'm, for me, it's more about the mums who will walk it with their kids rather than the very fast runners although I love seeing them obviously and we're actually getting quite well known now because we've got a fast course it is quite fast yeah yeah, yeah but not that I was fast yeah. <laughs> everyone's fast that's it yeah. do, you get, do you get lots of families out yeah we get families and kids doing like their Duke of Ed service hours and stuff like that yeah so that's what I think oh time to go home <laughs> And you had some great, yeah, you had some great helpers today. She was helping with the tokens. Yeah, that's right. So she's one of, um, and there are the two parents are run directors. Oh, lovely. So So they're a regular parkrun family. Yeah. Yeah. We've been very lucky here, actually. In the six months that we've been going, we've, I think, gained 10 run directors. Wonderful. Um, Got a couple of couples that do it with us as well. So... We've got a great community that's come that's out and fabulous, you know decided to help us with this yeah. as well, which is yeah. fantastic. Well, well done. Thank you for all you do for Parker and well done for building such a wonderful community here at Greenway. And thank you so much for having us all here this morning. We've had such a great morning. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. 
As always, thanks to Greta for um, stepping up and being a member of the Channel 5 News crew. It's great to have you guys out there and having the conversations. I actually took a selfie with Greta interviewing the guys in the background. And, and I know we've said this before, Scotty, but you and I, we always forget, you know, to do anything sort of too much podcast related on a Saturday morning. We don't have or, or don't make the time ourselves to remember and go and get audio and things like that. So it's awesome to have the crew around doing that for us, um, part of the team. They're very valued. Um, but conference weekend, you know, big weekend. We were away. Uh, it's kicked off on the Friday. And because it did, you were in New South Wales rather than being in Victoria. So you missed out on the Melbourne screening of the Run Nation Film Festival. I know. I'm absolutely gutted because I love it. I love the Run Nation Film Festival and I love what Buzz does. And I don't love that he scheduled it on this weekend, so I missed it. <laughs> well, ne next year we'll have to just be a little bit more careful with the weekend conferences scheduled perhaps. Uh, however, you know, there's still going to be opportunities for people. There's still more screenings coming and the park run um, editions as well, the local park run editions. You might be able to catch one of those still. Oh, yep, I can. So the park run edition is like a best of, the best of the last three years. And our guest today, his short film features in the 2018 edition of the festival and I'm keen I'm keen to learn more, so let's cross enough of our jibber-jabbering. Let's, let's crack on with the interview. Very excited to welcome our next guest. Um, for those of you who've been out there watching some running films at the Run Nation Film Festival recently, you would definitely recognise the voice of Bo Miles, who is a writer and filmmaker, also an academic at Monash University. And he's joining us now after we saw his film at the film festival. Uh, we wanted to know more. Bo, welcome to the Parkrun Adventurers podcast. G'day, Mal, and hi, Scotty. Thanks so much for joining us, Bo. I, um, I mentioned this to you before when we were just chatting about getting you on the podcast that I thought your film was the best one out of the whole bunch of the festival. You, you attended one of the screenings yourself. How, how was that? How did it feel sort of watching yourself on the screen and seeing the audience's live reactions? Yeah, it's a good question, Mel. I went to the Sydney, uh, the first showing, and then I went to Melbourne last week, uh, which were two very different feeling crowds. And and I really do go along now to see the crowd's reaction and, and not watch myself. I, I kind of get over myself by the time it hits any screen of any kind. Um, and so particularly, uh, and maybe because I'm a Melbourne boy, uh, it was really warm and a massive – the screen was huge too. I've never seen myself in such – was kind of godly, you know, at the Astor Theatre. It was a mega screen. Um, but the, And so the crowds were very different, uh, and, I, and I reacted very differently too. So I, I talked at both of the events. And the Sydney one, I was a, I, I was a real goose, I reckon, in the Sydney one. I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready to answer questions yet. I was still in kind of audience mode, and I was a bit in my shell, and I, and I, I was even nervous, and I'm never nervous when I'm – talking about myself because all you're doing is talking about yourself, you know. Um, but in any case, it was that the events were really, they were both very warm, really, and, and the crowd was lovely and I talked to a whole bunch of people before and after and uh, uh, they're, they're, they're fun events. They're really, they're great. Bo, for those who haven't been to the Run Nation Film Festival yet, can you explain your movie that appears at the festival? What's, what's the idea behind your little short film? So I did a PhD... Um, a year or so ago, and that's been in the in the works for years. So it took me six years to write, and and so I'd go underground every now and again and do these big writing spells. And and you, I look out the window, and all I want to do is go running or plant a tree or just be anywhere but sitting at a desk writing. In a sense, and, and as much as I enjoy writing, I enjoy being outside and doing things a lot more. And so. What I did once was I ran around my block, which I found out after running around it um, that it's a perfect mile. It just felt like this sort of mile-long thing. So I jumped in my old ute and drove around my block, and it was a mile long. And I thought, you know, that's such an iconic uh, distance, the mile, you know. And so in between writing bouts and when I'd get a bit foggy-headed or, you know, I'd, uh, in, a, in a 
sort of a writer's funk or a researcher's funk. I'd, I'd go for just to do a mile between between these writing bits and just enough to get a sweat up, you know. And over time, I thought, gee, wouldn't it be cool if I did if I did that enough? You know, you could sort of chalk up a marathon or a real a whole bunch of distance in between doing my writing project. And so, the film was called A Mile an Hour, and it is. It's a culmination of doing a whole bunch of things in between running a mile an hour for one full day, and so that was the idea, and that was well, that was the sort of the kernel uh, or the seed, I suppose you'd say that that's where the idea came from. And now it's a seventeen-minute film of um, running a mile an hour and in between doing all a whole bunch of things. Um, I didn't write not much anyway. I did mostly sort of practical things in my shed. So. Um, yeah, that's a long-winded elevator pitch for the film. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is it, it was born out of procrastination. Yeah, it was kind of strategic procrastination because I'm not a good procrastinator. I, I like, And I suppose the art of procrastination is to do something with an with a outcome that's opposite to what you're actually supposed to be doing. Uh, so in a sense, I wanted to blend it together. I'm going to run a mile an hour around my block and in between I'm going to do all of these tasks that aren't running uh, or a PhD, as it were. So, yeah, and I, I really like tinkering in the shed too. So I thought, how much can you actually do in a day and you just use a marathon as a structure and um, away you go. I had all these nice sort of synergies that the block's a mile long, that you could do one an hour and then for the other 50 minutes try and do as much uh, in the shed as possible, you know. And, of course, you, you had 24 hours to do it and, and you did, as you mentioned, a whole bunch of things, random things like fixing chairs, you built an outdoor table, you made a paddle, you played some Scrabble, you planted trees, you painted a fence, you mowed in the middle of the night. That one was a bit – was that a bit sketchy? Did you wake up the next day – well, not wake up because you didn't really sleep, but did you check out the lawn and go, oh, I did a rough job of that? I, yeah, I did a really crap job because – I've never actually used my lawnmower at night and it's got headlights, but they didn't work. So I used my running head torch, uh, which it doesn't really, it doesn't translate as well as what headlights on a car or whatever does, you know. So I certainly missed some, some bits. Um, and look, it takes me two hours to do my lawn. So I was never going to be able to do the whole lot anyway. So I wake up the next morning and there's just a patch, you know, and, and that patch certainly had some some long sections that weren't mowed. So, um, yeah, a bit of a dart at the old mowing thing. And inter the interesting sort of backstory of that is that in, in the sense of the film, um, it's quite a funny little quirky bit of the film, I think, when, I, you know, there's, you're sort of tinkering along doing jobs and then all of a sudden a lawnmower comes into the scene. The producer, Mitch Drummond, we sent this off to our new sound editor and he didn't quite get that that was supposed to be funny. You know, this sort of you've got this nice lovely scene and all of a sudden it's broken with this, lawnmower coming into it and he'd smoothed it out so that you could hear the lawnmower the whole time and it was um you know that was a really interesting part of filmmaking that uh, a new member of our team didn't quite get that that was supposed to be a quirky funny bit rather than just doing the lawns you know what I mean <laughs> so there's lots that gets lost in translation with filmmaking so the storytelling was was just as hard as the doing itself you know one of the challenges you had on this 24-hour adventure was staying awake and you had a couple of little naps there. Um, I'm curious, the, the filmmaker that was with you, the cameraman, did, um, did he manage to stay awake for the whole 24 hours as well or did you tag team it? How did you make sure you didn't both sleep through an alarm or something? Yeah. Well, I suppose um, there's a Seinfeld episode where uh, Jerry um, hosts a marathon runner who famously missed the start of a marathon once and he gets Kramer, his next door neighbour, of course, his bloody wacky next door neighbour too, who's got an internal alarm clock to come and wake them up the next morning and it's the one time that it fails. Uh, I think I think all, of, all humans have this internal alarm clock in a sense and I was certainly going to get up every hour, I think. But in saying that... Um, the hours between 1 and 5 a.m., they're such, they're such deep hours, especially if you've been doing so much leading up to that. I really was craving sleep. Um, and so my little alarm did actually wake me up genuinely and in a shock way every hour from, from 1 a.m. 2 to 5. I didn't have the heart to wake up Mitch, um, so I did all the filming from, from those few hours. But it wasn't much either. It was just 
it was those sort of ghosting laps where I took the camera out with me and it was a full moon. Um, and so I didn't have my, my head torch. My head torch had lost their batteries until uh, the guys woke up who had a, a supply of batteries I didn't want to be uh, rooting around with in the middle of the night. So I had this real amazing time between 1 and 5 a.m. where I was truly alone and the barn was my beacon to run back to. I had no head torch on. And I'd take out this camera and do these monologues to myself in the middle of the night running these country roads. Um, and it was it was an amazing experience, actually, because I've never run that, that late at night before and not in the construct that I'd cooked up. Um, and it really did feel it was it was a surreal thing being so tired and and you know, five minutes earlier, I was dead asleep and lusting for more. And then, bing, I've got to get up and do this lap. Um, and then, of course, it takes you another 20 or 30 minutes to try and wind down and go back to sleep because you've just G'd yourself up to do this run. So it was incredible. Uh, it was an amazing experience. You mentioned in the film that you, you felt a bit like a ghost while you were out there in the middle of the night doing that. Obviously, sleep deprivation sort of plays on your brain and, you know, you, you must go into some kind of automatic robot mode, I think, to a certain extent at different points. How difficult was it to, to stay focused on doing some of your other little bits of tasks in the middle of the night in those hours, like just apart from the running where you're, you're making your legs turn over? That's a good question, Mel. I think um, we've, got, we've all got this sort of rhythm in our bodies that we can train in a sense too. And there's been a lot of people that do 24-hour marathons and four-day marathons and whatever, and they can run at any time. Um, of the day and, and I'm not that person I've never really run it between 1 a.m and 5 a.m before so um, it was really I, I don't believe in mind over matter so much I, but I certainly believe in um, in training the body uh, and you do that mindfully through just well a repetition and telling yourself that this is right and it should be happening and and then there's of course there's this big other layer of embodiedness that uh, we probably can't train very well. And I think it has a lot to do with our circadian rhythm of the sun and moon and all that stuff. And so by the time 6am came, you know, I'd already run 20 miles or, or thereabouts. And, and so three quarters of a marathon, and yet my legs were brand new again when the sun came up. It was, it was remarkable uh, because those laps between 1 and 5am, they really were sluggish because my legs didn't feel like running at such the dead of the night. And yet it didn't have a lot to do with my fitness or strength. It was to do with, Bo, you should be sleeping now, you idiot. You know, what are you doing about? And look, I didn't do a lot between 1 and 5 a.m. anyway. I basically stoked the fire, did my lap, contemplated doing a few things, um, checked that the glue was drying on the paddle, and, and that was about it. And then I'd try and get some rest, and that was a bit flawed as well, you know. But it really is a great little short film. Filmmaking is not an easy thing to do, and you've done it really well here. It's, it, you need to be a great storyteller. So do you have a little bit of a background in this, and how many of these types of short films have you created? Uh, yeah, Scotty, I've been taking a camera with me um, on my trips since I was, since I was oh, well, an adult, I suppose. So I've had 20 solid years of always having a camera with me, and to be honest, the first sort of 10 years, I wasn't much good at it, or at least I took the camera with me and I was opportunistic. I would shoot what I thought was pretty or insightful or adventurous, and I wouldn't shoot all of the in-betweens. And it's only really been the last 10 years where I see so much more, uh, I suppose, worth and insight and and total humanity, I suppose, because we're all flawed and we're all weird and we're all, we've all got these little quirky stories to tell. Um, and a camera can do that now, but then you've got to also really trust yourself with how you put that together. And so, I mean, you can jump on my YouTube site and I'm, I've basically uploaded everything I've ever created on it. And there's and there'll be more. There's some old stuff I've done before that I'll put up there. And, you know, it sort of it really reveals my younger self of what I thought was worthy to tell. Um, and it's a real craft that I'm working on and I've got to sort of push myself into the corner sometimes of trying and, and to be creative. So I'm, I'm doing this piece at the moment about making a paddle from scrap wood that I find between the train station and work. And I had 20 minutes to find scrap wood and now I've made this beautiful paddle out of it. Um, and 
I wanted to finish the film on my first paddle stroke paddling down the Murray, this beautiful, big, wide, sweeping shot, you know, and the, the drone didn't work. So I was there on the riverbank of the Murray last week thinking, shit, how do I finish this with such a, a such an impact? And I had to go back to being really, I suppose, creative and going back to the reasons of why I made the paddle, uh, which was far more... Um, you know, I had to really corner myself to be creative again and not just rely on this beautiful drone shot. I had to be creative and tell the story that you're trying to tell, Bo, and don't just rely on this this one key shot, you know. And that's really important as a storyteller is to really ask yourself, what the hell am I trying to say here and, and what are some quirky, interesting ways to tell it? Um, because ultimately I think humans really like that uh, that that sense of... Uh, weirdness and and if it's done with in a sense um, with a story in mind you had 24 hours worth of footage were there a few stories that were left out from the final package that's a good question too so when I I was in contact with Buzz the festival director for a few weeks beforehand and saying Buzz look we we promised you a 12-minute film but it's looking like it's going to be 15 and then a week later it's look Buzz it looks like it's going to be 17 and in reality it probably should have been 20. And so yes there's a few stories in there that didn't make the the final cut just to keep the pace of it and to to try and emphasize just how jam-packed the 24 hours was. Um, and Scotty, I've never had so much footage in my life. So I had two cameramen on that plus myself. So in many respects, you're kind of shooting, what's that? What's the math on 24, 72 hours worth of footage. That's a bloody lot. And, and not that we had the camera rolling the whole time, but to make 17 minutes out of, you know, say uh, a full days of three, three lenses, um, Geez, and, and there's so many beautiful shots too and you think, gee, how, how indulgent can you be with either the story or the landscape or music um, or a really good voiceover but the voiceover really takes you off on another tangent. So I'm learning all the time uh, and I don't always get it right but um, but sometimes you tend to get that mix right and I think the mile an hour is, is, a really, is probably the best 17 minutes of storytelling I've ever had because... Uh, maybe it was because we had so much footage to choose from. Do you think perhaps having that shorter sort of time frame that you were trying to fit everything into to make it nice and punchy and, um, you know, cohesive, do you think that forced you to be creative and ruthless with the shots that you did cut out? Yeah, absolutely, Mal. Uh, it was a problem having so much footage. Um, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm sold, you know. I was always into the feature length. I thought the feature length film sort of is your – uh, is your right of passage as, as a filmmaker to make something with a bit longer legs. So I, I did that for Africa, uh, for my African paddle and for my running film across the Australian Alps. Um, they're on YouTube. Go to Beaumile's YouTube and check them out. But I think I'm just as proud of this new format that myself and Mitch have cooked up, which is short film format made for small screens in people's pockets and you know, we don't all have time to spend 40 or 50 minutes to jump into a doco and, and the 10-minute formula or the 15-minute formula is so doable. Um, that's why, you know, the TED Talk is made for 15 to 18 minutes and that's their formula and beca- and they've had a billion views, you know, or billions. So, uh, yeah, Bass by Kayak, when I paddled to Tassie, you know, six 10-minute episodes, uh, that has, that's really sharpened my toolkit as a filmmaker to you know, have these epiphanies and lows and resolutions all within a smaller space of time. Um, and so I, re- I really like that. I think it's, I think it's great and it, it, I think it's, it's catering for the mobile human, you know. You mentioned your, your Pale Around Africa film. I, I have actually watched that one too. Um, you're quite the adventurer and you've been doing this for a while. How does it sit with you? And I'm sure you appreciate the irony that you you lecture at the Monash University indoors about adventures that generally take place outdoors. How does that fit into your life? Mel, you've struck upon a chord that's my my biggest concern with life right now is that the better I get uh, or, or the more I think or the more leadership that I gain in outdoor education or at Monash in any capacity means the less of in the field I am, or at least it feels that way. And it, it hasn't changed much for the last few years. I'm sort of 
I do about 40 or 45 days of programming in the field. Um, but let, if I was a tradie and I was working five days a week on the tools, that would be I'd be on the job site 200 or 220 days a year. And I feel like I that's really where my space is, you know. Um, I did that for years as a guide and as a school teacher and as a, as a filmmaker. I'd be, I'd be outside 300 days a year and then you're only really inside on weekends or, or a day a week. And so I've got to now justify to myself because natively I want to be outside more and I have to justify to Monash who pay me well to be inside to write about what I do and to teach what I do. I have to now find that happy balance. And I, and I must admit it's my biggest conundrum right now is whether I pursue academia more because it means sitting and being inside so much or whether I really push for my position being more outside and my impact can be in filmmaking and in guiding and in making stories about being outside and not about uh, preaching it from the indoors. Um, I'm going to do a really tenuous link here, Bo, um, but I think you'll have an opinion on it because one thing we've, we've discovered, we're challenging our listeners at the moment to get outdoors every day and walk or run at least two kilometres and it's one thing I've noticed since we've launched Junior Park Run that now my daughter and family are outdoors every Sunday morning. I think it's got some real power to it, to actually the act of being outdoors and being in nature. Like it's really good for our soul. It's really good for my my mental health more than anything else. Um, you obviously must feel pretty passionately about this as well. Yeah, it's a really good question, Scotty, about mental health and just being outdoors and to you know, scholars overcomplicate things because we're adults and that's what we do. And, you know, a study reveals that humans are far better off and heal better and, and feel better uh, by by having a window that looks over a tree or hearing birdsong or whatever it might be. Uh, where kids know that already, they, they just go out and they play and they're happier and they're healthier and they get little scars because they trip over on a, on a on, on a tree root, you know, all these sort of great things that actually engage them with the outside. They climb a tree without asking questions about it whatsoever and then adult comes along or adulthood comes along and then we ask questions as to why we like climbing trees and we call it things like ecophilia or biophilia or uh, attention restoration theory based on the fact that when a, we hear birdsong or we see green spaces uh, or just we're just simply outside, might be reading a book or having a cup of tea, uh, we feel better than when we're inside having a cup of tea or reading a book. Um, and so a run is exactly that as well. Uh, and, I, and I sometimes, even now, I've, I've run five or six days a week for 20 years and I sometimes now walk at the end of my run and I've never done that before uh, just to, to take a bit more in. You know, running has still got a bit of wind in your ears and, you're puffing and you and you block out a lot of the world just because of your own human sort of sounds and movement and what stuff that you miss. And uh, it really sort of ends my run really well and I sort of ground myself a bit more. Um, and, yeah, so kids just do this naturally. It's, uh, they're remarkable and, and we've, got to be, we've got to be kids more in a sense in an adult body and, and we'll be better off for it, I think. Do you think there's a marked difference between getting out and going for a run or a walk in a city versus doing that out on a trail or, you know, more in a natural environment? Uh, it's an excellent question, Mel, and, and half of me wants to say no. I think the power of perception is so epic that you can, you can soak in and you can, you can change your thoughts and your world and, and what you're feeling and whatever through the, the sheer power of perception. But I also know too that, you know, based on my last answer, that, uh, green space and and the rustle of trees and you know water and and this is what the scholars would say again that that, that taps into something that's animalistic in us and that, and that is primal and that that's um, it's far more em empowering than concreted streets and the wind rustling through buildings. Uh, I, I'm not so sure all the time because I think I'm as a country kid when I go into a mega city I'm so, my eyes are on springs you know I go to Hong Kong and I think holy shit you know everything smells different it looks different it is so it's, it is so uh, I'm immersively um, bombarded you know and so it's very intriguing to me but I, I don't know if you, if I did that every day I wonder if that would just completely wear off whereas me going to the forest every day I'm still engaged every time uh, and maybe that's the difference. 
Uh, and I know that, and you you folks would know too, that you probably get more resonance with a lot of your, your runs that are in maybe more natural places or, or, or take in really different environments rather than just one type. You strike me, Bo, as the kind of person who has a very good um, handle on you know, being able to get that inner child to come out and 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 not quite, you know, squash all that like childlike wonder that we we used to have and, and gets destroyed with adulthood. Do you have any recommendations for how people can, you know, take themselves back to that? So how do I how do I I don't know. I'm a pretty serious fella underneath it all and yet really stupid and really childish in many other respects and I, I slip between the two kind of uh, versions of myself really quite I do it all the time you know I do it in class where I'm really trying to hammer in an idea that's deep philosophy and then all of a sudden you know uh, I just think oh this is all a bit much let's just go for a walk outside and kick a ball around you know um so I don't know the whole childlike thing. Look, I'm I'm really clucky at the moment. So Helen and I try and have a baby, um, which is awfully hard when you're a field guide and you're in the field all the time. It just doesn't quite, you know, it, it doesn't line up with life really, which is tricky. But my point to that is that I really want to start to be a child again through my own child because um, maybe I'm getting too old just to be childish my whole life as well. So I've got I need another excuse. So having a little a little one around might um, bring out even some more childlike qualities in me. I don't know. And in terms of an adult being more childlike, it's hard because you're having to resist everything that we're so we're so culturally uh, formed uh, that we 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 become adults, and that means we often become boring and uh, ignore all the stuff that kids don't. But what's next? What's your next project? So the next project. Uh, you know what it is. Next project for me is consolidating and finishing a lot of projects that have already come and gone, and that are that are current. You know, there's there's four or five films on the cutting room floor that we're chopping up at the moment that don't really need any more footage other than just putting in the right order and some voiceovers and some nice music or whatever. So to finish all of that stuff, um, I'm a bit overwhelmed actually, uh, being postdoc, just with how much uh, creative space my mind can run off and 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 indulge in and uh i'm really relishing that it's fantastic although i'm just i'm probably running at a little bit too fast a pace and trying to cook up too many ideas and action too many things so my next stage is to finish a lot of the things that are in train uh, such as the commute project of walking and paddling and horse riding to work and uh, uh spending some time in my big gum trees that are endangered and just hanging out up there and seeing what it's like to live in the top of a tree you know um so there's there's a heap of projects cooking up and, and I've got to write too. I've, I think I've got a bit of a book deal on the go and I need to I need to start to get my chapters in order for that. Uh, so I suppose you'd say writing, filmmaking, and and at the same time, sort of playing this game of being an academic and seeing seeing what I can do with it. If you could let let's let's just go back very quickly to a mile an hour and if you could sum up the one thing that you learnt from that that you will take with you, Bo, what would it be? The, the potentials of one day uh, are incredible. I think so many people forget just how powerful 24 hours, which is 86,400 seconds, I think. It, it, is in, it is immense what a human can, they can shift their whole worldview in a day, let alone make a table and make a canoe paddle and run a marathon and you know, make make your best friends three square meals from scratch and, and do these wonderful things. And, uh, you know, that was a really revelation. And I knew it anyway, right? I'm a, I'm a doer. And I think a lot of people are doers and realise how much we can do. Um, but I suppose that the little film project just emphasised it. And I've never told a story like that before. Well, well done, Bo. We love doers at the Parkrun Adventurers. Um, we urge everybody who hasn't been to the Run Nation Film Festival to go this year, but um, look you up on YouTube, Bo Miles YouTube, and you'll be able to see uh, the short film there. And thanks for spending a few minutes talking to us this afternoon. Thank you, Scotty, and thank you, Mal. And uh, You're doing great stuff. Good on you. I, I, I'm going to join you for the next park run somewhere down the path, so good on you. 
Good morning, Parkrun Adventurers. It's Melissa here from the Channel 5 News crew reporting in from Toolan Creek Parkrun. We've got beautiful blue skies here this morning. The weather's lovely. Um, Toolan Creek is an out-and-back course, relatively flat, and I'm currently walking the course with the tail walker. Um, hello. Hello. How are you? My name's Matt. Hi, Matt. How are we today? Very good. So, thank you for volunteering. No, you're right. And uh, what's your parkrun story? Um, I'm relatively new to it. Still only done under 10 parkruns, but this is my second or third volunteer as well, so try and keep it even. And, yeah, just I'm a park walker, not a runner, but just here for a bit of exercise. No, that's okay, because okay, parkrun's inclusive and, and we love to do it whichever way we can, walking or running or pushing a pram or wheelchairs. That's it. So I've seen you in the social media a bit. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. you're on a bit of a journey? Yeah, that's it. Just here to get fit, try and lose a bit of weight, and that's it. Just be a better person. So park runs, good family. Everyone's encourages you and all that stuff, so it's, it's good to get down here. And made a few friends since you've been park running? Yeah, definitely. Definitely the, the regulars down at Toolan Creek are a good bunch and stuff like that. And then, as you said, on social media, you get encouragement from everywhere. That's great. Do you live close by? Yeah, I live in Melton, so it's just a five-minute drive down here each each Saturday morning. So, and uh, have you done any other park runs? Uh, only North Lakes in Brisbane. Okay. So that's the only other one we've done so far. So we have spoken about trying to get to a few other ones, but it just hasn't worked out just yet. Oh, that's all right. Um, and what about any of the challenges? You probably um, still working on your 50 milestone but have you heard about the other parkrun clubs that you can do um no alphabeteers um when you try and get all the letters of the alphabet oh yeah my my parents are doing all that stuff they've got all these spreadsheets and (laughs) stuff like that so um they're encouraging me to to tag along with them and do all that type of stuff but with work it's not always easy so it's completely normal to have spreadsheets what are you talking about (laughs) doesn't everybody good work guys well done Okay, well, thanks for talking to me today. No, no worries. We had our roving reporter, Greta, at Greenway earlier on in the episode, but we also got a roving report from our friend Melissa Ellis, who was at Toulon Creek or Toulon Creek. And I'm going to get it wrong every single time I attempt it, but there you have it. You've got two versions. You can choose which way you'd like to pronounce it, tomato or tomato. No launches again this week, Mel. We're in a barren period of new events. But luckily, we still have had launches in previous years, so we have anniversaries to celebrate. And they are Broad Beach Waters in Queensland. Nuriutpa in South Australia. Pakenham in Victoria. Palmerston in the Northern Territory. And Redcliffe in Queensland. So happy anniversary, guys. Now, is it time to go to our hotline, Scotty? Yes. This was a great idea to include it in the bingo because we've been flooded, inundated with hotline questions. So we're going to save them up, much like we did with the Poem Zone. But uh, let's get to this week's batch. Hotline. Hello, Scott and Mel. It's Barney here. I have a question for the hotline. I would like to know, during streaky September... Which is harder to give up, lollies or caffeine? Excellent question, Barney. Excellent question. I would say lollies. Definitely lollies are more difficult to give up. Uh, I haven't actually really had caffeine for several years now, so not difficult for me to give, give that one away at all. How about you, Scotty? Well, I think the answer the answer is caffeine because I couldn't give it up, whereas you're still on your mission to give up sugar and chocolate. Well, that's not entirely crazy, accurate. Crazy talk. You, you, you did give you did give caffeine up for one day. For one day, this is true. So I couldn't last beyond one day. Whereas, we're, as we sit here now on Friday morning, the fourteenth, <laughs> you're still going strong. So you've you're fourteen times better at this than me. Or it's just harder <laughs> to give up caffeine. That's the question Barney's asking. Uh, but we can't really answer it. Maybe maybe only I can answer it because you don't drink coffee. So the, the, the question is, could I give up 
Skittles. I haven't had Skittles this month. <laughs> so um, I, I might we have had chocolate. We do have some other adventurers who have also committed to not having Skittles this month. However, they don't also usually eat Skittles. Well, I do. I eat Skittles, but maybe not on a daily basis that you were you were in that um, pattern of behaviour. I was in the Skittle zone. Yeah, you're in the Skittle zone. I'd like to definitively answer all our hotline questions, but we can't, Barney. And, um, maybe we should do a poll. Maybe we should do a poll this week and we'll get the adventurers to answer. <laughs> a poll? Pinching ideas from other podcasts now, Mel. No, we've That's had a poll thing. before. <laughs> we have. <laughs> <laughs> and it was your idea the last time. Yeah. I'm open to polls. Let's do a poll. A poll on the Facebook page tonight. Answering, definitively answering, definitively answering Barney's question. Because we can't. Should we go to the next one? Yes. Hi, Scotty and Mel. This is Brendo here from Shell Harbour Park Run. Just about to start out on my September the 6th streaky September run and uh, trying to create some Strava art. But it made me think... Scotty, hashtag, what the font? Cheers. That's a, that's a bit of a, a tricky one from Brendan. You know, the layperson might not see how that could be an actual question. Yes, but I love hearing from Brendan. We love Brendan. We haven't heard from him since we did the listener meetup at Shell Harbour. But in answer to your question, Brendan, it is the BC Falster Grotesque Bold is the... Definitive answer to Brendan's question. That is, that is a very that's an interesting name for a font. Mm. And have I think, you ever created a font, Scotty? No, I haven't. I, I actually started to at one point, but it's really hard, Mel. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is. <laughs> what would you call it if um, you did ever make one? I never got to the naming stage because I think I only got about three or four letters in because I had a really cool idea for about three letters. But then there's 26 letters and then there's also symbols and all this other stuff. And um, I lost interest. It's not as easy as italic where you just put everything on a lean. Mm. See, that's that's the difference between you and me. I always come up with the names first. So, for example, I, I have um, a novel that's been in the works for 10 years on and off. And I have the names of all my characters. But do you think I have the full plot line? No. No. But I what's, get invested in names. What's the name of the book? Novel, sorry. Oh, novel. no, I, I don't have a name for the novel. Oh. Well, I, I've got a working title, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because that's embarrassing. Okay. Lead character's name? Uh, I had named it after one of my – him after one of my brothers, but I've since decided to change that. So he ha my lead character ac hasn't actually got a name at present, oh. but it's a boy. <laughs> So you're not going to give me the name of the title. You're not going to give me the name of the lead character. <laughs> but you've got all these names. <laughs> well, I, I can give you the lead of the, the the name of the second lead character, and her name is Mari, which is short for Amarina. Of course, it is Amarina. Hmm. It's an Aboriginal word or name. I didn't know. You're, you're teaching me things every day, and I'm teaching well, you're the welcome, listeners. Scotty. I'm teaching Brendan what font I used. <laughs> to create something um, that only, but basically, there's a, how many? How many people do you reckon know what we're talking about now? Maybe five. Oh, uh, that's that's. I think that's been. Um, what's the word? Ambitious. Oh no, we've gone back to where I can't remember words. Yeah, ambitious or um, the opposite of conservative. Generous. Generous. I think that's being generous. Five is a lot. But this is what we do. The, the The hotline is a service to our listeners, and Brendan wanted to know the name of that font, and we delivered. Thank you very much, Brendo, for getting involved in Streaky September and for sending in your hotline question. And also thanks to Barney. Send them in, people. Keep them coming. Get that Streaky Bingo going. Um, as we mentioned last week, Streaky September is going off this year. I'm really happy. I get filled with joy when I open Facebook um, this month, Mel, because... The, the, the group is really active. Everyone's posting there every day, and I love seeing it. I love seeing that people yep. are coming along for the journey. I'm still on track. It's not – I had hopes this year that it would it would reignite my interest in running because if you remember last year, I was injured. I had the sore ribs, 
And you did, but you still don't. You have sore ribs again this year. I do. Yeah, I do. I've got sore ribs, and uh, I got a cuddle from my wife the other night, and uh, it hurt. (laughs) (laughs) My 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 yearly cuddle from my wife, and uh, bang, it hurt. So yeah, my ribs are still tender, but I can I can still run, and I hope to run a bit more. But again, I'm really enjoying the walks. Uh, Went out for a walk with my just my wife last night. So has Kasha broken her streak then? No, she hasn't. No, Kasha's, Kasha's a great kid. She's a real trooper. So she's got her school performance on at the moment. So what she does is she goes down to the school oval and does laps by herself while her friends are playing so she can stay on the streak. That's amazing. Isn't she great? What a good job. When, when I left last week, um, she had her grandparents looking after her. Vonnie was away at a conference. We abandoned our only child. But she still did her streak all by herself on the Oval, and she did that yesterday as well. And she'll probably do it again today. She's That's awesome. Kid. She's got a lot more dedication than Wes, who broke his streak <laughs> the second I was out of the state. Yeah, but he, he's walking at the moment, so I, I think you're taking it easy on him by pushing him in the pram. <laughs> the kid can walk now. Make him walk. Well, he, he did one of them in the, in the carrier, but I wouldn't say it's easy on him necessarily. It's... He probably does a kilometre around the house during the day with the walking at the moment. However, two kilometres, I'm not being easy on him. I'm being easy on me because I have been trying to make my streaks go for a minimum 30 minutes as well, um, which is why they tend to be a little bit longer than two kilometres at the moment. But to, to walk with a toddler who has only been walking for a couple of weeks and can't necessarily do it in a straight line mm-hmm. uh, intentionally all the time, that that would be very time-consuming for me. Okay. I'll cut him a bit of slack. But Thank next you. year, I want to see him. Oh, it's all on next year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but speaking of Streaky September, I, I just want to quickly thank – all those people who got in touch to confirm that they do indeed run and or walk with Strava on their phones. They don't have <laughs> GPS watches, Scotty. Let's not get carried away with all those people, Mel. There was a couple. There were, there were at least three. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and that's just the ones who are up to date. You know, just wait till all those other people who are a little bit behind hear the episode. They'll be like, ah, oh, damn it. I should have supported Mel and hmm. uh, told Scotty what was what. I mentioned early in the podcast that there is another podcast I discovered during the week. It's called Stay Frosty Park Run. I haven't had, I, I've had a quick listen to episode one and let's see where this goes, but let's let's give it some love. Stay Frosty Park Run. Love the name. Yeah, somewhat akin to Stay Classy San Diego from our own much loved Anchorman. We hope that's what it's about. It is, it's from the UK. It's... It's a solo one-woman podcast, but now we've got four to choose from. It's great. And on that note, I was going to talk about the Double Barrel Club, Mel, but um, we're running out of time this week. So I'm going to save that. I'm going to put that on the run sheet for next week. But have a think about what the Double Barrel Club might be. 